0: Meeting your exact copy is never easy. Believe me, I know. Mr. Boimlers, you showed great bravery and ingenuity down there. Thank you, sir. I just wish I could keep both of you. Starfleet Command feels our missions are too complex to have the added complication of two identical crew members. I'm afraid one of you will have to return to the Cerritos as an ensign. I should be the one to go. All right, works for me. Whoa, 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 wait. I thought we were both gonna step forward, and then, like, you'd go, oh, I should be the one to go. Nah, I'm good to stay. But what was that nod? I don't know. I just thought we were doing a copy thing. But thanks, man. That's really big of you. Transfer complete. And welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and join me on the bridge. This is Tyler, who has no last name, just like Odo. <laughs> and this week, we're here to tackle the two latest episodes of Lower Decks, Sean, his eyes open, and we'll always have Tom Paris. Which, uh, which title did you like more, Cam? I like We'll Always Have Tom Paris because it makes me think of We'll Always Have Paris, my favorite episode of
1: TNG. Fair enough, yeah. Uh, they both kind of uh, tap into our nostalgia with past Star Trek series, of course, with kind of that Darmok shout-out. The first Temerian, uh, you know, with on his wise eyes wide open, uh, taking over as head of security. I will eat crow on this. I thought they were really telegraphing that uh, one Beckett Mariner would be taking over. Um, we can get into it in the next episode. I, I, Based on the finale from last season, I don't think this is what they initially had in mind, especially given uh, Mariner's speech at the very end, but uh, we'll get into that. Can't let's start with Kayshawn, his eyes wide open. I I, I just want to get into the meat of the matter here. Um, How they handled Boimler's return. Um, I think given how we were kind of expecting Boimler to somehow return no matter what... I'm kind of happy. I think this is the best way that they could have explained it by essentially creating like a uh, Riker clone uh, through Transporter. Like otherwise, I just don't know how they would have done that where I at least would not have been rolling my eyes. I thought it was kind of funny and it kind of explains like, okay, we've got two Brad Boimler's out there, one of whom is going to go by William Boimler. But uh, yeah, I'm okay with this situation that would have otherwise been a little bit frustrating.
0: I thought it was fantastic and it's It's the sort of thing that, you know, when you watch the episode, you're like, oh, that seems actually pretty obvious for a show like Lower Decks, but I never saw it coming. It didn't feel telegraphed other than them referencing, you know, those sorts of events in the actual episode. But when I got the William Boimler, I thought it was hilarious. And the fact that William Boimler seems like a lot cooler than regular Boimler was, I thought, great. And it really does, I think, open up. Future avenues for storytelling where we can have the Titan come back and we can have battles of the Boimlers going forward. So it didn't just feel like a, okay, get Brad Boimler off the the Titan. It felt like they were both doing that, but also introducing funny new possibilities for the future.
1: Do you think we'll ever see him again? I think we will. I think they will probably play with this at some point in the future. No, you're supposed to say, I do, because his clone's here. Oh, that too, yeah. <laughs> that was a funny line. That was a funny line. I'd have to say that Kayshawn, his eyes wide open. Uh, I think this is a, a big uh, jump back in quality from the season premiere, which you and I were both like very, very iffy on and very concerned about. I liked it overall. It had more laughs. We got the Tamarian jokes with regards to the malfunctioning Universal translators, that was funny. Uh, uh, I, I guess it's come a long way in about seven years based on this <laughs> timeline here, but uh, yeah. And the pickup pro- lines? I thought the pickup line at the end was pretty funny. Well, even explaining um, all the PIP continuity or lack thereof throughout Star Trek, I never, ever realized that it had to do with uh, corn kernels. <laughs> Street corn, to specify. <laughs> yeah, yeah, So, <laughs> But yeah, uh, look, th- this was one that... Um, they're they're touching on things that I, I it's kind of funny if you look at like old school uh Star Trek and look, uh, TNG is old school Star Trek at this point. They put it out like they had like five daycares and regular string <laughs> quartets, you know, and that's kind of the um the hangout sort of starship that I kind of dug and it, it's that's where Boiler's heart is and they're kind of explaining how this nonstop action that maybe I don't know it's kind of a uh, uh, a judgment on maybe some of the latter era Star Trek shows maybe it's not for everybody and maybe this is a show meant to uh, you know kind of uh, pedal uh, towards those sorts of fans although the fact is the uh, pacing of all three episodes to kick off the season it, it just remains frantic I'm going to say that much. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, this one, but more so the episode we'll talk about in a few minutes, they have a lot of plots going on. I think there's like three plots going on, or maybe four, actually, in the episode three. And they are racing through these stories to get it all covered. And maybe it's the sort of thing, like by the time we are on episode six or seven, we're just acclimatized again, but it did feel rushed. I always wonder, too, like... Are people like really into animated action scenes? Because it's something that I'm like, if it's not being peppered with jokes or character moments, like animated action just does nothing for me at all. As much as we sometimes complain about like uh, discovery action, animated action does even less for me.
1: Yeah, it doesn't really grip me. You know, If I've seen a giant head bite, you know, down on the Cerritos, it's, you know, okay, it's a funny gag, but uh, just the manic sort of uh, editing and all that, I'm... Like, I'm never in awe the way I would be watching old-school Star Trek. Like, I just remember the first time, like, watching Way of the Warrior and that battle between Deep Space Nine and the Klingons. We had literally never witnessed anything like that in Star Trek before, and and you're kind of, like, dumbfounded. You're like, wow, how was that even possible? Was it a mix of practical effects and VFX? Like, I don't know. Now you just watch something, and it's just like, oh, yeah computers did it and it's it's not as breathtaking or leaves you with that kind of sense of wonderment that uh, we got uh, and i, I don't want to keep playing the nostalgia card but i think it's true though
0: yeah and it's also based much more in choreography in some of those older scenes on the earlier treks and a lot of the earlier track feels very inspired by like theater they hired theater actors across the board it seemed a lot of the time on star trek so you would have more of you know, the um, action scenes were driven more by the drama of the situation, by the character dynamics, and by the actors, you know, taking part in a choreography. Whereas, like, I look at a lot of the action in newer Trek, and it feels like it's just inspired by, basically, the blockbuster you see opening in your multiplex every single weekend. Which, a lot of the action nowadays is just done by pre departments, not really handled by directors. It's just the special effects crew puts together, you know, the action scenes in your Marvel movie... And the directors don't really involve themselves in that sort of stuff. And it's kind of impersonal. And that's why I find a lot of the action in some of these shows a little bit
1: underwhelming as well. Well, the other issue is these are 22, 24-minute episodes, you know, like – the the pacing is just all over the place as well. So even if you're not, like, blown away by, like, these action sequences, they, they whiz by so fast. Like, on, I'll be honest, like, half the time, I don't even know what's going on. You know? And, like, mm-hmm. that's kind of a frustrating thing. You know? Like, it is is actually kind of more the second time that I watched Keisha on His Eyes Wide Open that I figured everything that was going on with regards to the Collector's Guild giant climax that was intercut with the mining colony. Yes, Cam. There was a mining mm. colony in the last yeah. episode um interspersed with all that action as well uh, and then even uh Freeman was having her own uh, micromanagerial evaluation um, subplot going on that was interspersed with all those uh dual climaxes and it was just kind of like like what is going on like, like 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 I I don't think I have a bad attention span, but uh I, th- this is just tough to to keep up with. I
0: find watching them the second time, because every episode of Lower Decks I watch twice before we review it here on the podcast. And I find the two viewings, like, often radically different. Like, in terms of just following along with the tone, picking up on the moments. I, I Some of the shows we've covered, for example, Picard. When I did my revisit of Picard, yes, it felt easier to watch binging it all at once in terms of story. But episode to episode, they felt pretty much as I remembered them, whereas, like, lower deck, sometimes I'll watch an episode even, like, three hours, four hours later, and it's, like, like I did for episode three uh, for this episode of the podcast, and it's, like, it feels almost like a different episode the second time through.
1: Well, what's your kind of, like, regular rhythm? Like, I I usually, like, watch an episode... I, and I don't take any notes. I just want to sit there and be absorbed with it. Then, like you, like maybe a few hours later, I'll go and I'll. that's when I'll do my note-taking and then we'll record shortly thereafter. How does it usually work for you? It's a, It kind of alternates
0: depending on if I'm off that day, if I'm working that day. So um, usually I will, the first time, just watch it just to watch it. And then the second time, take notes. But actually, today... I ended up taking my notes the first time through. And then the second time sitting and watching the episodes just while I was eating dinner. So it did, I didn't find too much of a difference, but to me, it's just like one go through is very much focused on the details. And the other is just, how does this work as an episode?
1: Well, speaking of focusing on the details, I know you were uh, all in on the, uh, the Sonic showers that opened up K. Sean, his eyes wide open, Uh, that communal nudity going on, Cam. uh, I, I, About 30 years into this era of Sonic showers, I'm still unclear on how those things work.
0: <laughs> I don't really need to know, but <laughs> I thought this was a really fun bit. It also, um, you know, opened up a little bit of the universe of Star Trek in the uh, completely unfazed by nudity future that uh, we may experience one day, where everyone is just gathered together in these showers. It's not played as any sort of, you know, cheeky joke or anything, which I appreciated. Uh and I actually thought this was a funny gag of this competition between Mariner and Jet over Sonic Shower settings. I, I thought it was a, a good setup for an episode.
1: Yeah, people aren't hung up about nudity, so maybe that means more Vulcan neuro-pressure scenes in future episodes, right? <laughs> Hopefully. Do you think they would ever do this on a live-action show? Oh, hell no. Like, I, Well, remember they made a big deal in Season 1 of Discovery where like, yeah, we'll show nudity. And it was, like, Laurel in, like, a sex scene and sex scene slash sexual assault scene that they retconned back into being, like, a sex scene that gave Ash trauma. It was so bizarre and so mishandled. I think they would prefer to kind of um, do it right next time.
0: Yeah. uh, That scene, which also, didn't they show that in the previously on? Like, they were really proud of that scene with Laurel. That was bizarre. (laughs) They were so excited about it. You could just, like, feel the creators being like, oh, my God, we've, I guess, I don't know, made Star Trek sexy or something. I don't know what they were thinking, but they were like, we've got to remind people this is what's going on on Star Trek Discovery.
1: (laughs) Well, that's another thing. Like, okay, we keep talking about it, but, like, Discovery is not for kids. I think that's very obvious. Um, But it's it's still weird in which, like, they have an R-rated version of Star Trek in which people cry... Uh, non-stop throughout the episodes, you know, like, okay. But um, with regards to Strange New Worlds, would you be more surprised if they ever dropped F-bombs or had a, a communal sonic shower scene in something like that? Do you think that might be more family-oriented than what we got with Discovery? It seems like
0: Anson Mount is very much pushing more of an old-school Trek feel. Like, he seems much more in that school of Trek fandom. Everything he said at the con seems to indicate that, and I would imagine he has a fair amount of input as to what this show was going to be and you get the sense from everything they're saying it's going to be more of that traditional Star Trek show that maybe fans would like more of in terms of live action Trek so I'd I'd like to think it will be more family friendly because like I don't know might be nice for parents to show their kids new Star Trek that you know is live action as opposed to something like Lower Decks even.
1: Well, you have a friend uh, that was just uh, introducing their kid to the Star Trek universe. I, I believe that-, that son is like 13 years old. W- uh, 11. 11 years old. W- would you ever say, yeah, let him watch uh, Star Trek Discovery? Um. Well,
0: would I? Probably not. Uh, it's close to that age. Maybe I would, though. Yeah, cuz I'm like I was watching R-rated movies when I was about 12. So,
1: yeah, that's true.
0: I, it's kind of like we tend to, I think as we get older, <laughs> slowly fall apart. We regard like 12-year-olds as like very very tiny children, but
1: in in you know,
0: retrospect looking back, I don't know, I was watching like Die Hard movies at that age, so uh, I don't know
1: yeah i guess and also okay like we can make those like judgments on discovery but like there's some episodes of tng like i don't know night terrors that uh freaked me the hell out when i was like watching at like age eight like i don't know if i was necessarily old enough to be watching that then so it's not just like i i don't want to just like cast uh like this kind of broad judgment on discovery based on um the, the sprinklings of more adult-themed sort of television that we've seen over the last three seasons. I'm just more um, interested
0: to see how many young people walk out of this decade and so on and so forth, looking back nostalgically on Star Trek: Discovery. Like, does it have a fan base that's built up of
1: new viewers? That that'll be just interesting to see. Well, I, yeah, like the, who are the new viewers? Like jumping into Discovery? Like that's kind of the curious thing, right?
0: Yeah. I have no idea. I've yet to meet a young person who mentioned liking this show, uh, Star Trek Discovery. Uh, in all fairness, how many young folks do you interact with in any given day? So much. It's like, I'm like Steve Buscemi on 30
1: Rock. I'm just hanging out with the kids. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> I did forget that you do have a, a daycare center, one of the five on the Enterprise D, so that explains it.
0: <laughs> what up, fellow young people? That's yeah.
1: right. Um. So... <laughs> There's just some other things that I, like I, I was uh, just kind of I couldn't help but notice, but like the first head of security since Shax's, uh, uh death last season uh, is uh, th- this fella here who is also wearing a baldric, which actually fits in line with what we saw from the Tumerians uh, back in Darmok. But it also fits in line with what we saw from Worf. I would like it if just more security officers are just expected to wear Baldrick's moving forward. That
0: would be a cool look. Um, yeah, I am totally down for that. And I was excited to see this character Keshan show up because I think one of the things with you know Shax was it was a very specific personality type on the show that I think we were like hit or miss on. I think we dug him in the um, in the finale, but he was a character who took a little bit to grow on us. But I felt like Keshan. Was a, it's a really smart idea. Like, why not bring a Temerian onto the show? And I think I mentioned when we did the episode Darmok, it would be fun to have a Temerian on a show like Lord X, and apparently they were um, reading my mind because, uh, you know, great idea. I think this could be a lot of fun going forward. I am curious how much they actually continue to keep this character as, you know, a regular player on the show. Um, but I'd be more than happy if he did stick around. Uh, in what capacity, though? Yeah, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Spoilers for episode three, Tyler. Well, yeah. Uh,
1: So do you think that the uh, there there is potential for like a totally licensed Kayshawn doll, you know, like kind of puppet? Or do you think that's going to be more of kind of a fan creation where fans might be going on uh, Pinterest to sell their Kayshawn homemade Kayshawn dolls? If they think they can make money, then they will make it. (laughs) That's the question. But, But what do you think, though?
0: Well, we got the Tom Paris plate that they're selling already. Um the thing is like we haven't seen a lot of like lower decks merchandise being thrown out there. So I don't know what their focus is yet. It seems like they don't really have one. Uh, but I could totally see like if they start to get more lower decks merch out there, it would be, I think this would make a lot of sense, and I could totally see it happening.
1: Like, would you figure that this has perhaps more potential than like what? What would be the the other kind of very go to sort of lower decks thing that might be uh, up there that for licensing at this point with regards to toys or other sort of memorabilia? Like, I'm I, I just think that this seems very obvious just because of the size of it and that it's like yeah. already a doll sort of deal. Oh yeah, I, it's perfect. Um, I don't know what else they would. I mean. I,
0: Maybe some sort of collectible action figures of the characters that would probably would be fun. do fairly well. Um, you know, I think they'll. I think we've talked about it, or you know, they'll be probably doing some some of the ships with the um, Eagle Moss line. Uh, probably some book sort of tie-ins, but the world of like Star Trek merchandise seems kind of just strange to me now, where I don't really know what's to come in terms of like Discovery merch or Strange New Worlds or Picard
1: merch. Uh, I don't know. Did you just say that? You expect book tie-ins for Star Trek Lower Decks? Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. (laughs) Who's going to write them? It could be a comic book series. I could see that. I could see a comic book series, but not necessarily like novels or anything like that. Novelizations. I want thick books.
0: Like I'm talking like 500 page (laughs) chronicles about adventures we can't see on the show.
1: (laughs) Like we saw Star Trek Discovery tie-ins. I can understand a writer taken... Um, best opportunity to pursue that but I, I, I think like trying to strike the same tone and sense of humor that Star Trek Lower Decks has in like book form I think that would be profoundly difficult and it, I I think it has potential to just be disastrous
0: oh I don't think necessarily when I, when I said book times I didn't mean like fictional novels continuing the adventures of these characters I mean more like hardcover coffee table type books you know the world of Lower Decks art of Lower Decks that sort okay. of
1: stuff okay okay yeah
0: uh, so what did you think of Kalis's, uh fornication helmet, Cam? I thought it was wonderful. What did you think of all the little um, in-jokes in hidden throughout this episode?
1: I found it very tough to nail a lot of them down. Well, I, I, you know, I was, I was about to say, like, I, there were so many and you got, like, quick flashes. Like, uh, I, it was hard for me to kind of keep up. Like, there's little things, like, I recognize the headset from the game. For instance, like that was very mm-hmm. easy to pinpoint, and there are like uniforms in the background. Like I think we saw the Terran Empire symbol. I want to know where somebody collected that and brought it over to this uh, side of the universe. But it actually makes sense that hey, if that would be a collector's item, so uh, that was fun. But I, I probably I need to. There must be like some Reddit thread somewhere that uh, itemizes every single little in joke that was featured within this uh, collector's guild member's stash.
0: Yeah, like I spotted, um, you know, the spot painting the Data did, uh, the Apollo statue from Who Mourns for Adonai. Um, there was obvious ones like the Salt Vampire showed up in the Savage Curtain diorama. I really appreciated the skeleton of Giant Spock from uh, the Infinite Vulcan of the animated series. That got a huge laugh out of me. Sure, sure. <laughs> it's
1: funny, we just literally watched that episode like a week ago.
0: Yeah, just coincidentally, they, they flashed twice to a necklace. Did you know what that was? I, I had no clue.
1: Like, yeah, I'd have to look that one up. Yeah. Um. So uh, maybe maybe if I dive into a little bit of the storytelling of this one though, um. So we have Jet and Mariner arguing all throughout this mission. It, it it's very much kind of a, a lesson oriented episode, and the lesson is we should all listen to each other. And I'm just like it it felt a little full house to me like it, it felt as if it was like not talking down to the audience, but it was bringing up a more of a convoluted friction and tension just for the sake of telling us why it's good to always listen to each other I'm just like i i I'm an old man at this point I kind of I've seen that story before i and i I'm more into kind of um personal arcs, you know but Do you think Mariner's actually going to fundamentally change? I I still see her being like the same kind of person who is going to push her ideas ahead of everyone else's.
0: I think that's the case with Mariner for sure. But I did appreciate that they were trying something a little different in that it gets very repetitive if every episode is Mariner proving right. And, you know, just through sheer force of will, making her solution, you know, happen. I like that both... michael burnham does <laughs> we'll see about season four tyler right, we'll see right. about season four we'll see if she's the we'll see if the writers we'll see if the right i like that we'll see if the writers get our letters but um right. I-, I enjoyed that this episode had both her and jet just take a pause and be like tendy rutherford what do you think because that's something that we never see on this show
1: Well, and their response is like, oh, we didn't really think of anything, because you guys are always, like, kind of out-compete each other, and it's just like, okay, let let them figure it out. Uh, (laughs) um, Actually, another thing I was thinking about, do you think Jonathan Frakes has any recollection of playing Tom Riker not once, but twice? I would think so, right? He has to. He has to? I don't know. Like, do you remember (laughs) every single week on your job over the last, like, you know, going back, like? 35 years no but he probably remembers you know the time he wore a yellow uniform or something like that right (laughs) maybe it came back to him at the end i don't know like uh, i think honestly i think he had to be reminded of this character
0: yeah i mean i don't know how much he treasures his experience shooting an episode as an actor of ds9 um for all i know
1: that's one of his all-time career highlights uh (laughs) i don't know yeah, yeah, they did give ha- or they did have like a good shout out uh, because uh, when William Boimler stuck around in the uh, uh, Captain's Ready room with Will Riker, uh, he said, computer, play Nightbird. And that was the uh, jazz song that uh, Will Riker could not play at the start of Second Chances that Deanna was trying to make him play, which I, I thought that was just like a funny shout out. It's kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that's a good callback right there.
0: Here's a question for you. We saw that uh, William Riker was hilarious on Lower Decks. Is he a character we... I mean, I did say up front that I could totally see us revisiting the Titan and bringing back William Boimler in the future, perhaps. But um, is animated Riker kind of a one-joke wonder where it's all these jazz references and classic Rikerisms, but you don't want to visit it too much?
1: I think that is the best possible strategy because otherwise it gets old and you're sick of the character and it's very one note so look um if they do it once an episode and if he comes back moving forward maybe once a season i'm totally down for that like you said like i I believe that they will bring back william boimler at some point they have to will he be going by bill boimler does that make more sense (laughs) billy boimler (laughs) billy boimler bradward and billy
0: Okay. <laughs> I uh was also somewhat amused by Dr doc- uh, by um uh, Captain Freeman as the micromanager and the one time she decides to not micromanage, all chaos is breaking out. I thought that was a pretty funny gag actually.
1: Yeah. I liked it. Overall, for this one, uh, definitely a bound forward in the season two rankings for me at this point. If we jump over to we'll always have Tom Paris. um, This one didn't quite match what I was hoping for based on episode two. I I like episode two more. Kim, I honestly, I don't think I laughed once during uh, episode three. Did you?
0: Uh, yeah, uh, quite a few times. This was actually, to me, my favorite of the season so far. Really? Okay. Um. Yes, I thought a lot of the Tom Paris stuff was gold. The moment where he yelled Kazon, I thought it was genius. Like, I never saw that gag coming.
1: I, so in my head, like, I like living within the hyper-reality that is Star Trek Lower Decks, and I don't want to overthink it. But um, I, what I was thinking in my head is, like, would this happen uh, with live-action Tom, where he would just... See a guy who's in the alpha quadrant, who's very obviously not a Kazon, and then scream Kazon, not thinking about the fact that uh, how would a Kazon suddenly be aboard the ship, and then start trying to beat up this guy who's just colored differently.
0: I mean, I guess, but also Riker wouldn't be making jazz references constantly while in battle. But <laughs> so within I don't like know.
1: the the framework like of the series, I can buy it. And, and this one, like, I was just it, that moment actually kind of made me groan. And same with the Shaq's return. Like, I that really made me groan. And, like, uh, they're like, oh, you can't ask him. can't explain it. And then they're like, well, it has nothing to do with rank. Let me tell you what it is. And then, well, they don't ever explain it again. Like, that, like, as much as we liked how the return of uh, Boimler was explained in the previous episode, I thought it was so stupid how they addressed, like, the Shack's return. Like, they didn't address it. I like that they were tackling
0: a well-worn trope of um, Star Trek in the... As, you know, established in the episode that bridge characters always manage to come back to life, it seems. Um, I thought that was a funny gag. It didn't feel like they had an out for it, though. Like, I'm not really sure what the punchline in the end was. It didn't feel like it it really built to something that satisfying.
1: Yeah, like, the difference is, though, like, every time, like, a bridge character has quote-unquote died... Well, they've explained how they've come back, even if it's through convoluted circumstances. Like this one, I'm just like, oh, so, okay. This is why it bugs me. What does it mean for the legacy of the season finale, of season one, then? Like, if we know that Shaxx is just coming back in in two episodes. Like, that that annoys me.
0: Uh, So much will depend on what they do with that character going forward, because I could say the same thing about Spock dying at the end of... Star Trek two, and then bringing him back in three. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's a good so point. So it, it's you know the moment was so effective, and
1: if See, we I, get, I, I never like, found the moment effective though. It, like a lot of people did. The, to me, mm-hmm. like Shax was such an underdeveloped character leading up to that. He had like a total of maybe five lines leading up to that throughout the entire season, and then I was supposed to care about his death about you know this is a character I didn't even know. And then they feel that he was so important that they had to bring him back without any explanation. Like, like This this entire plotline really, really frustrates me.
0: Yeah, I mean, if they'd managed to do something with this character going forward, then my opinions on it will change for sure. I don't know what they're going to do. I'm unclear if, like, I don't know, is the temerian still going to be the security chief i I don't
1: know like they didn't I, well, really establish no, you, you don't know for certain, but you can make uh, an educated guess and what would that be i I could see an episode being built
0: around maybe the two of them um like who's gonna wind up with the security chief job
1: I could see that if shax is back I don't I, and uh, the actor's name has been in the credits mm-hmm. all season long. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we know the answer like shax is security chief, you know, like I don't know what the deal is with Kayshawn. Um, the, last we saw Keshawn, like he was still a doll and you know uh, Dr. Tan was working on him you know I, mm-hmm. I, maybe he w- was sent back to the farm uh, that we saw last season like that could be it you know <laughs> which is a funny gag um, maybe he comes back but like they're both the same exact rank and they both had the exact same job on the same ship so it's like I don't know I, I just find this situation like aggravating because I was curious about what Keshawn would be bringing to the table in future episodes and it Doesn't look as if that's going to be the case moving forward.
0: Even if they turned it into a running gag, a la Spinal Tap, with the drummers, where we got a new security chief like every you know every now and again on lower decks, I thought that could have been fun. I I don't really yet understand the value of bringing Shaxx back onto the show. Like he's I don't either. Pretty, no. Yeah, it's a pretty one-dimensional character. So like the concept of why you would bring him back, I don't quite understand yet. I can only hope that the um you know, the writers of the show had a good idea of what to do with him in the future, but hopefully it did seem like a strange choice.
1: Yeah. Especially, I I just go back to that scene at the end of season one where, you know, Freeman has made it very clear, like, you know, Freeman, we really need like a new security officer and you and I, we need to turn a corner here. And I'm just like, okay. And then like, she's making such a big deal about needing to have like a new security officer um, that just tells me that this feels like very much like a Lieutenant Commander Non sort of situation from uh, last season of Discovery where Non is flung into the future along with everyone else. And it's because that the writers hadn't figured out the, what they want to do with the other characters going forward. I think we had that scene at the end of the uh, at the uh, season one finale because they didn't know what they wanted to do with um, or they didn't know that they wanted Shaxx back for whatever reason. Like, I don't think it was the plan to bring Shaxx back.
0: You wouldn't get that sense for sure. It felt like when they were pitching ideas for season two, that it was like, well, a trope of Star Trek is to bring characters back. Maybe that could be fun. But it's the sort of thing I wonder if it would have been smarter to do in, I don't know, season three or season four. It's like when you had characters die on TNG, like sometimes it would be, you know, Tasha Yar didn't come
1: back the episode right after Skin of Evil. You know what I mean? Although that episode was filmed uh, uh, before her final episode, right? True. Yes, I got you there, man. (laughs) But, like, you know, after Tasha Yar dies, it's
0: not like season two starts with her being back. You know, they waited before they brought her back for yesterday's Enterprise, where it was really earned and fans had extra reason to be pumped to see that character back. Whereas here, it's like such a blip. It's like, oh, yeah, he wasn't in, like,
1: two episodes. Okay. (laughs) Well, it's less of a blip than what we got with Picard. (laughs) True. (laughs) What was that about 90 seconds maybe if that About that? Yeah, about that, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. 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 Okay. Uh and look, I I know I I sound as if like I'm just dumping on Shacks. Uh there was a great sight gag where he was dressed like Neelix uh for a split second um when uh Rutherford was having that kind of hallucination trying to imagine how Shacks returned. Uh seeing anyone dressed like Neelix? That is exquisite to me. That was great. Yes. And I I br- just I uh, laughed the second time watching
0: paying attention to the audio and you hear him him saying like in the Nexus, it's always Christmas. It's always Christmas. It's always <laughs> Christmas. That got a laugh out of me. Like I, I like the I like the idea though of just comedically kidding the whole aspect of Bridge Crew coming back to life. Like I think that's something on Star Trek there's a lot of room to have fun with. And I think they were like almost there. Like that scene of all the hallucinations was really funny, I thought. It just felt like they didn't have the out point. Like they didn't have that perfect button to kind
1: of tie that story off. Like they had an idea for a joke. They just didn't have a punchline. I think you said that earlier as well. Yeah. 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 Because
0: it's like you get the moment of Rutherford finding out and just basically getting a haunted look on his face.
1: And that's that. And you're like. Okay, well, I I guess it was awful. <laughs> that I guess that's a joke. Yeah. I, I I know I said that this one maybe didn't make me laugh, but there were moments that I, I definitely uh were amused by, especially when uh Mariner was explaining that she's into bad boys, bad girls, bad uh non-binaries, and bad binars. Um <laughs> <laughs> I wanna meet a bad binar. <laughs> That was amazing. And Tendi being like, I thought you were into Boimler. <laughs> and she was disgusted. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. I thought, And then then when she says, well, what about you and Rutherford? Are you a couple? She goes, oh,
1: not really. Uh, no, but then uh, she uh, Beckett Mariner also described Boimler like, no, he's more like a little pet. but <laughs> I can believe as well.
0: Yes, I could. I, I really actually enjoyed this episode for that dyna- for the dynamic of Tendi and Mariner. The fact that they establish a friend well, aren't you usually paired with Rutherford and I'm usually paired with Boimler? Like the fact that the show is acknowledging, and it's something you and I commented on in season one. It's like, boy, they really pair off those two sets of characters right. together all the time. Yeah. And the fact that now the characters are commenting on it, I thought was fun. And I thought the entire mission of the uh, Cation love statue or whatever was pretty funny.
1: Okay, so I, I think that'd be a good idea to have Boimler and Rutherford pair up uh, in a future mm-hmm. episode. that could be a fun dynamic as well. Um you know, as much as I said maybe this one didn't make me laugh so much, there's other things like um when they're like damage report, none. <laughs> like <laughs> And just the shot of the
0: uh, the saucer or not the saucer, the um the shuttle like like just binking off
1: the uh, the shield was great. That was a good gag. That was a good gag. Um Cam, do you have a bowl signed by Chicote? I would buy one, perhaps.
0: Although, that said, I say that, but when they put those Tom Paris plates on sale online, I didn't buy one, so maybe I wouldn't.
1: There are, like, a lot of plates, like, fine china for sale at, like, the Star Trek conventions. I've never been enticed to invest my money in any of that.
0: Well, that was such a craze, though, back in the day, was the decorative plates. I remember my parents buying, not Star Trek ones, but... Uh, You know, I don't know, like wildlife art or something like that and just buying those decorative plates. I don't think anyone gets those anymore.
1: Uh, What what about the Archie Bunker plates you have uh, in your apartment? I've got the whole collection. (laughs) Mama's family wants too. I can believe that, yeah.
0: <laughs> like, I it is, I mean, I say that no one would buy them, but I guess Trek fans buy those plates at cons, and the Tom Paris uh, plate they've just put out, I'm sure, will buy or will sell, uh, you know, a handful of uh, copies, I'm sure. But, uh, yeah, it's such a craze of, like, the what 80s, 90s? I guess I a little bit of both.
1: Well, you know, Mike McMahon, the creator, he said, like, like despite them making the show in the 2020s, like, it's supposed to be that... 1990s show like that's what he's trying to make as a, a 90s show, and that's kind of the timeline that they're in within the chronology of Star Trek as well. So look, what what other 90s fads should they try to incorporate in Star Trek Lower Decks Cam? Like those uh, snap on wristbands? Oh my God, you said exactly what I was going like actually
0: thinking. Really? Because as soon as you were saying what other trends, I'm like in my head like <laughs> trying to come up with something. Snap bracelets was the first thing I came up with. Um, I guess we can bring back neon.
1: And like pump up uh, running shoes. Oh yeah, do you remember the L.A. lights where like uh, the back of the heel would like light up every time you took a step? Oh yeah, I do. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um. That won't be distracting uh, watching that animated on screen uh, as they all walk by.
0: <laughs> but I-, I did enjoy just this whole episode, this whole journey with this statue with doc with the you know Doctor Tannis, like um you know love statue. I thought that was genuinely funny and a way of exploring the Cations a bit through their, apparently, pawn fur. Um, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, and just getting to basically learn more about Cations through this friend quest, I thought was just a really smart idea.
1: Uh, you said statue, I th- uh, love statue, uh, I believe is described as an important cultural sex toy. That too. <laughs> wait, wait. Does that have more marketing uh, capability behind it than the Cachon uh, doll? someone would buy it i yeah. guarantee you yeah yeah <laughs> uh, I, I did like the shout out to the episode tapestry from uh, star trek where they're playing billiards with the nausikins is that solely the only sort of uh sport or game that the nausikins engage in is that like the sport of the homeland of nausikins it must be uh <laughs> where they so do they just play against each other and then accuse each other of being cheaters as well
0: Perhaps, yeah. That's part of the whole, the dance that is the Nausicaan, you know, sports world. Why would anyone ever play this game? I, I don't know. It's, Cheater. I always, <laughs> I often find, though, when you show me fake games in, you know, like science fiction shows or what have you, I, I kind of just am like, whatever. Like, <laughs> I don't even know what this means.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well... Uh... Unless they, look, unless they bring, like, K's or uh, Nausicaan billiards into a Star Trek convention, I, I can't say I'm, I'm I'm too intrigued by the idea of it.
0: Yeah. But, like, you know, at least DS9 had the sense to just make fun of Dabo. The fact that, like, the rules were so convoluted, the characters just randomly shouted out Dabo, and you're like, okay, <laughs> they're in on it. But, like, a lot of the games on Star Trek, they take a little seriously, and I'm like, I have no idea what any of this means. You mean, like, the Wesley Crusher episode? That one especially, yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, another gag that I I did like uh, where uh, Tom actually arrives on the bridge and they're like, don't send us to the Delta Quadrant.
0: He's <laughs> like, never heard that one before, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I, well, what did you think of, you know, I don't know that you and I ever expected. If you go back to like when we started this podcast in the first few years that one day we would be seeing Tom Paris back in primetime Star Trek or whatever primetime is considered nowadays. You know, what did you think of the return of Tom Paris?
1: It's not where I imagined him. I did not expect him to continue on in Starfleet. I like look, Brad was talking about how, you know, this is the guy who created Fairhaven and uh Captain Proton and I just assumed to be a story about um, a hollow uh writer at this point. That that's what Tom's destiny ultimately was. But he's back in uniform and he's going ship to ship talking about morale or something like that. I'm just like, "Huh?" Like that's kind of like I, I'd be far more intrigued by having maybe a, like a Roxanne Dawson like a, appearance with her next step in life, you know, uh, as, as Bellana, because I like I can't imagine Bellana sticking around in Starfleet either, and uh, uh, because she's not even a Starfleet graduate, like she, you know, busted out of the academy after I think a, a couple semesters and ended up in the Maquis. So like I'm just, it seems as if they're kind of um, just scratching at the peripheries of the universe that was built without really really wanting to shake things up too much.
0: Yeah, and I could see that with Riker. Maybe they don't want to mess around too much with what that character is doing. Maybe they, you know, in other Star Trek shows want to touch on things. I don't know. It seems unlikely to me the future of, you know, say, like, live action star trek is going to be touching on the future career of tom paris like it feels like that's a character you could actually do something fun with and i, I don't know maybe he was just so inspired by neelix as a morale uh, morale officer that he decided to follow in his footsteps that's the uh, canon i'm gonna write for
1: myself well i do appreciate we had shacks dressed as neelix in that case then
0: yeah yeah maybe that's all maybe it was all just tying to that but yeah like it, it seems like tom paris I love the gag of him just being there. I thought the talking plate was a hilarious gag as well due to the fumes. Um, But I would like to see them take maybe a little more um, radical swings with some of the returning characters in the future. Especially the ones, like, you're just not going to see some of these characters brought back on, you know, the uh, the live-action shows. So, like, why not just do something fun?
1: Who is somebody that would have zero chance of coming back in like say say Star Trek Picard or something else? Zero chance, but has like a decent chance, like a main character that could come back for Lower Dex.
0: Um well Neelix is the one that jumps to mind first actually. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he's showing up on Picard. I I think like I don't think Harry Kim would be showing up on Picard. Um Chakotay seems unlikely. Like I think, a, I mean, a lot of the Voyager people. Let's be honest, and a lot of the Enterprise people.
1: Um, true. Yeah. You know when well, it gets I, a little. I li- can picture like a uh, a Jonathan Archer hologram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. But yeah. I uh, but I don't. But I think you're right. I, I don't think uh Kess is necessarily going to be showing up on uh Star Trek: Picard.
0: The greatest gift of all. No, um, I don't see that happening. And DS Nine is touch and go. I think there's some characters you want to leave the possibility, but there's probably a few in there that you could, uh, you know, bring back that aren't going to be used. Like, I don't know that like Rom is going to be showing up on Picard. You know, a character like that you could maybe bring onto Lower Decks.
1: I I think like Quark could perhaps show mm-hmm. up on Picard. I think Kira. Might. I, I doubt it, but I think that's a possibility. Um but I think Jake Sisko might be a potential lower decks candidate, more so than a Star Trek Picard candidate.
0: Yeah, that's a good choice actually as well. Um I don't know about a Bashir. Um seems kind of unlikely, but I wouldn't rule
1: it out either. I think like in my head, like Bashir's journey is over, you know? Like that, that's oh, okay so we did see like the sight gag of miles o'brien uh on lord dex last season i i don't think he would return to picard but i wouldn't rule it out like i, I don't see it being impossible
0: no i think miles o'brien shows up in some way shape or form okay I, I think that character is very iconic and yeah they would want to find i mean cole Meany's a very distinguished actor too so it's not like with some you know i'm not going to point fingers but with some star trek characters you're digging up actors who haven't worked in a long time which maybe isn't going to happen but with like cole Meany, he's a very well-known actor who's still working constantly now so it would make sense to bring him on to a currently running star trek show
1: uh, not too long ago maybe just some uh, two or three months ago, Colm Meany was doing an interview on Irish television and somebody just kind of floated by him. He's like, yeah, sure. I, like, I'd be up for it. Like, uh, returning to Star Trek. Like, like I think he knows uh, as an actor, like, don't don't poo-poo anything. Like, you know, get in touch with my agent. We'll, we'll see what the offer is and how it works. Like, I, I don't think he's not... <laughs> I don't think Colm Meany is ever going to write a book that says, I am not Miles. <laughs> Yeah, but I would love it if he did. Yeah. <laughs> it would be better if he wrote a book called I Am Not Spock.
0: <laughs> Why doesn't Either... someone else do that? Someone else should do that, actually. Another Star Trek uh, you know, alum should uh, write a book and call it that. How about Ethan Peck? <laughs> that would be glorious. Or I... Zach Quinto, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, Or the kid that played Child Spock. Either one, I don't, I don't Liam care. Liam Hughes. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, touching on Quark, we saw Quark's had an establishment on the planet Quelar 2.
1: Yeah, very similar to, uh, you know, Picard, uh, Star Trek Picard. We saw that in Stardust City Rag as well.
0: Yeah, and we saw Vic Fontaine actually advertised as well here, but like... What do you think Quark is going to show back up on first? Live action Trek
1: or Lower Decks? I'd say Lower Decks because it's just easier to just again, do a voiceover sort of gig where he's probably out on another planet franchising his bar somehow. You know, that's what it seems to be like his future career. I just, I'm a little skeptical that, he, he, that uh, Armin Sherman dons the makeup once more. Um, you know, you've been impersonating his niece for some period of time, um, <laughs> saying that your uncle will never do that. This is on the Facebook groups. People go back to previous episodes, if you don't believe me. So, but I, I say Lower Decks first, and then maybe Picard.
0: Yeah, like, you know, Q showed up first on Lower Decks before True. seemingly showing yeah. up on uh, Season 2 Picard. I should say s- seemingly, but he is showing <laughs> up on Season 2 Picard. Uh, that is not a spoiler. Um, So yeah, maybe it is a little bit of that testing the waters of just get Quark out there in the animated show and the next thing you know, we see him show up in Season 3 Picard. Although, I would have a hard time imagining them bringing him back for anything more than, like, a single episode. Like, I don't see Quark as having an arc on an upcoming show. Nah, no. Uh,
1: but then it kind of bumps me out. Is it just more of a, a, a live-action sight gag? Like, one of those, like, pointless, like, sorts of moments? Or does he actually have some sort of, like purpose? Like, is it doing something to elevate the character, do something interesting with the character? Because I think that's what the actor would want to know.
0: I think you could do something interesting where the crew is on some sort of a way mission on a planet. Quark is there and works into the overall story of the episode. And you could touch on the character and the history of that character. But it's tied to kind of a one-and-done episode, the same way, really, you know, Troy was in Nepente. Like, she didn't show up the rest of that season, but we all walked away from Picard season one, naming her as one of the highlights.
1: Yeah, she wasn't in the finale telling uh, Commodore O to take her traitorous Romulan ass over the border.
0: <laughs> Had she been there, she might have been more aware that Picard was dying than Riker was.
1: <laughs> he, missed, he missed Picard's death by, what, 12 seconds?
0: Something like that, yeah. That was embarrassing. (laughs) It was, it was. Um, I was curious, what is your uh, thoughts on the ongoing joke this show is having with Tendi not being the stereotypical Orion, but then constantly touching back on classic Orion
1: tropes? Well, I think it's pretty funny, though. Like, uh, she even touched on it, and she's like, hey, not all Orions do that. Well, not most of us. That was from last season, you know? Like, um... But, like, uh, just them talking about, like, the pheromones probably juicing the game, you know, that's sort of uh, funny. Um, but but even her just, like, kicking her cousin's butt in this, what, what is a matriarchal society, as we've learned uh, over the last uh, 15 years. You know, like, I think it's fun uh, her coming to grips with her own culture, which seems to be at odds with uh, her pursuit of a career in Starfleet. The name Mistress
0: of the Winter Constellations was gold. I hope whoever came up with that term in the writer's uh, room just patted themselves on the back because I thought that was very funny.
1: Is that going to be your lower back tattoo?
0: <laughs> already is. Already is. Good. I work fast. Good. Uh, I did it myself with my left hand.
1: <laughs> backwards behind your... Yeah. <laughs> holding the a mirror. mirror with
0: the right hand. Holding the mirror with yeah, the right so hand. Yeah, so then
1: it's backwards on your back.
0: <laughs> Looks great in photographs, though. Yeah. okay. <laughs>
1: Yeah, photographs in a mirror. <laughs>
0: Very awkward. Yeah. It's like,
1: yeah, uh, it's like a circus show going on here. But because you're bending around, you it's it's upside down as well. That too. Uh, anyway, sorry, sorry.
0: Um, I I did like her line too about we're not all thieves and pirates. But wait, I do have a cousin who's in a thieves' <laughs> den on a pirate's outpost. That was good. That was good. Yeah. Yeah, like I like that they've because that was something you and I were wondering about with Tendi in season one was like, have they locked down what makes this character funny yet? And I think they've definitely angled in on some things that are very fun. It that touch on classic portrayals of Orions in Star Trek, but also
1: undercut them in a way. I I, I like what they are doing with uh, Tendi's character when it comes to the Orion stuff. Like that's fun for me. Um, I, I I had some questions for you just with regards to like kind of wrapping our heads around the timeline here. Um. Lower Decks takes place, at least season one, was 2380. Uh, And so maybe this year's 2381. Who knows? Like, it might not be. But, like, um, let's say we're Mm -hmm. 2380 and Mariner's, you know, making yet another reference to her time on Deep Space Nine. I previously thought in season one, when we had the flashback to Deep Space Nine, it was just the ship she was serving on. Had docked at Deep Space Nine. I I didn't realize that she had actually served with Worf, for example, which I presume would be in the Dominion War. So that would put her as an ensign for at least five six years at this point. Like, how long is somebody going to be an ensign for? Like, that's kind of what I'm wondering. Because, like, say let's say the show goes on for five six seven years i think they're gonna pre be progressing in real time like one season equals one year so is she gonna be like an ensign like harry kim or something is that gonna be kind of a joke too uh, it could be i think that the
0: fact of the matter with her though is she could have easily been promoted it's yes the fact she will always undercut her success by doing these sorts of things like the fact she gets kicked around all over the place and i actually thought that was like a pretty funny joke just like tendy being like i didn't know you were on ds9 she's like it's a very important aspect of me like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know things like that and the fact she served on this many ships like mariner is a character who could totally be a captain pretty much at this point or at least a high-ranking officer but is someone who seems destined just
1: to be kicked around lower ranks for like maybe ever <laughs> it seems as if she's um more in her elements like at this level but
0: she seems happy. And that's something that, yeah. like, Star Trek always, you know, kind of hangs the captain's chair over every character. And it's like, isn't that the dream? It's like, I don't know. Tyler, you and I both have jobs. Do you want to be the top boss? It's
1: like, no, like
0: not at like, yeah, like, I don't want to be. So, like, a lot of people find their happiness where they find it. I just get the sense that that's where Mariner is happy to me, it's more interesting, I think, going forward. I hope they don't keep, like, teasing her being promoted, because I just don't see the point if the character doesn't have that interest. But how does this affect the characters around her, characters who maybe do have that need to have that upward momentum in their careers? I think that's more interesting.
1: I just wonder if maybe kind of the natural progression of the series is that, I don't know, all, the, the four primaries get promoted at, at some point to lieutenants, and the, the series then brings in like four new ensigns and the four primaries stick around and it's them dealing with like these like ensigns you know trying to guide them or you know what kind of crazy wacky adventures are they gonna get up to Because just because if you're a lieutenant junior grade it's not as if you're on top of the world by then
0: no no yeah. I, I could totally see that that makes um yeah i think that's where the show should go like i I don't need to see the show end with everyone being a captain. I think that's kind of boring. Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah, just last thing I wanted to point out here. Uh, I I did like uh, Dr. Tiana just wanting to like crawl into the box like a cat does, like at the very end. Again, that's the sort of thing that I should have seen coming.
0: It's the type of joke that I thought was a perfect payoff. Like when we talk about in the previous episode with the uh, death of Shaq's payoff, like you're like, oh, I guess I didn't really have anything there. Whereas here, this whole drama about the you know the statue being torn apart throughout the episode, I thought got consistently funnier as it went. But then at the end, just the fact it's the cat who just wants the box, I'm like, why did I not see that coming? Like that is <laughs> classic cat behavior, and it was played out I thought as a visual gag, very very funny. Yeah, I dug it.
1: Uh, any final thoughts for you?
0: Yeah, there was one thing actually we skipped over just on the previous episode that I wanted to just touch on where we had at the end Boynler talk about his time on the the uh, Titan and saying, well, it's a bunch of complex characters having heavily heavily serialized battles and mind-blowing twists as if like he was not impressed with this. And this felt like a commentary on what we're seeing on Discovery and Picard in a way that was I was actually a little bit surprised by.
1: And that they're taking a shot at their sister series
0: yeah like it yeah. genuinely felt that way. I mean, you can say well, people like different things, but like the fact of the matter was like Brad Boimler did not
1: seem thrilled by this well, what they emphasized every time we saw him on the Titan was like he was miserable he was screaming also I, I uh hats off to Jack Quaid, uh who plays Boimler mm. every time he just lets out a Boimler scream, I laugh like it is legit funny um. But, like, it seems as if, like, yeah, yeah, like, the Titan is not made for him. Like, he wants to be doing kind of the exploratory missions rather than the pew-pew-pew stuff that we've been seeing in Discovery and Picard.
0: Yeah, and I'm all for it. I agree with him. And uh, I think maybe that's why this show has become kind of the, the bomb, as it were, for um, Star Trek fans who
1: want more of that old-school feel. Like, it's, it's giving that. Whereas uh, Season 3 of Discovery turned into a bomb. exactly, exactly Um,
0: I also want to give my own shout out that's to Chris Westlake who I think his scoring on the show is consistently great but I found in the last episode we'll always have Tom Paris um, just some of the music cues he was working in for like the Orion music and just the adventure music I thought was fantastic I really like what he's doing on this show a lot I'm hoping they'll utilize him on perhaps a live action show at some point
1: or even just the way that he was uh lightly, not overtly kind of tapping into the voyager theme like hitting in some of those notes even if Boimler's just kind of whistling it and then we actually get it uh in the Jeffries tubes as well like i like i i'm not a fan of Jeff Russo's score from uh, uh discovery and uh, uh Picard it's no slight against him Well, i I guess it is but um I just, I I find Chris West, like, really touching on the the kind of music that really uh, brings out kind of Star Trek the way that I always think of it. Like, kind of that that sense of discovery and uh, wonderment, you know?
0: Yeah, 100%. And I'm
1: curious, have they confirmed who's doing the theme for Strange New Worlds? I haven't heard anything uh, about that. I I bet that they're not even close to uh, scoring at this point. Yeah. I suspect it'll be Jeff Russo, but... Fingers
0: crossed that Chris Westlake gets the tap on the shoulder for that one. Yeah. So, Tyler, I just had one question before we wrap up. You know, regardless of where we stand on these two episodes, don't these two episodes just really make you scratch your head as to what the hell was going on with the Season 2 premiere? And that it wasn't very good? Like, it felt very low effort. It felt like one that didn't have any sort of spark to it. Whereas I watched these two and I'm like, oh yeah, this is the lower decks I really appreciated last season. Like, what the hell was going on with that first episode?
1: Well, I I think you're a big, a much bigger fan of episode three than I was. There, there's stuff that mm-hmm. I liked, but I, I still felt as if it was suffering from more of that frantic sort of pacing that I think settled down towards the end of season one. I just feel as if, like, we were on such a roll in the last half of season one. I just figured that that would continue on into season two. And I... I don't think that momentum is quite carried over, and I think that was very obvious in the premiere, and, and like, I, I think it was a bad episode. Like, like I just don't... Like, I, I don't know what was going on there. Like, I'm I, i I'm with you. I don't know what to make of it. I don't think episode three was bad, by any means. I just... I, I, I didn't like it as much as, say, what we were getting at the end of uh, season one, for example, you know? And, they, and the fact of the matter is I kept, like, reading out, like, uh, note after note of things that made me laugh, you know? But, um... To answer your question, Cam, I have no clue what that premiere is about. Even just on
0: a visual imagination level, you know, you look at the whole collector's room in the second episode and a lot of the action stuff going on there. You look at what's going on here with the whole journey that, you know, Mariner and Tendy go on. And there's so much visual just imagination going on in the storytelling. I'm like, where was that in the first episode?
1: I just wonder if it's something like they had like an idea... And then it just, like, sometimes you've got a great idea, and the thing that kills you the most is that you can't execute on it.
0: Like this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod.
1: Tyler, what are we doing next week? <laughs> well, obviously you can. We are jumping over to episode Th- or episode four of uh, season two of Star Trek Lower Decks. I don't think we know the episode name quite yet as we record on Thursday, but listeners will know and you guys can make fun of us. But uh, yeah, like I- I'm just curious where the season's going to go from here. Um, I- I- I'm down. Like I- I'm still enjoying the show uh, as it is. It's just, it- it's a little bit, it feels just a little bit weird coming off the strength at the end of season one. That's all. Mm-hmm. Well, it definitely
0: felt like they were building up to like top tier, for what the show seemed at that point to be capable of. Um, I'm hoping that we get up to a newer high tier for, you know, season two, somewhere along the road, but not quite there, but I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing so far. Okay. You can of course find us on the Twitter. I'm at cam. V as in Voy is easier to say Smith.
1: You can find me at reporton. That's R E P O R T O N N as in Neelix costumes is what cam wears in real life.
0: Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed.